0: We forgot to uh, pray for Marsh. <laughs> yeah, because they have our donut order on Sunday mornings. And uh, uh, Ryan, where's Ryan? Did he leave? Ryan McCall just like dropped it off and left. Uh, but Ryan got our donuts this morning. He got there and they didn't have our order because the bakery had, like is done over there. So uh, he had to piecemeal breakfast together for us this morning so thank ryan for doing that but we'll figure it out right not that big of a deal uh glad you're here we're going through the gospels and sent an email out yesterday while we were driving from oklahoma Uh, i didn't do it my wife did but um talked about two things that really uh are about to occur that impact the way that we read the rest of the gospel going from this point forward and what has happened at this point for those of you that are guests with us real quickly we've taken Matthew Mark Luke and John sewed it together chronologically actually uh, several theologians have done that Uh, A.T. Robinson is probably the one that I'm following the closest to at this point point, in a book called the harmony of the gospels it's also the one that uh, my friend Bob Oren used as he taught through the gospels Uh, many years ago. So, we've taken them chronologically, put it together, and we started telling the story of Jesus. There's really, I think, is like one of the biggest things that that the church doesn't realize is these messianic miracles that aren't mentioned, but they're just Jewish tradition. If you teach this from that, uh, it all of a sudden makes sense, but the Pharisees decided that to determine when the Messiah does come because they've been looking for the Messiah, since Genesis chapter three, all the way back there, they've been waiting for this Messiah to come and really be the superhero, the the king of their of their people, this Jewish nation. And they decided that uh, if the Messiah could uh, heal a, a Jewish leper, if he could uh, heal a a mute that is that obviously can't talk but uh, it is demon possessed, but can cast out a demon out of them and then heal a blind person from birth. Those are three miracles that they had never seen done or were capable of doing. So uh, if, if the Messiah came along and did those three things without a shadow of a doubt, they would know that he's the Messiah. If he did those things, well, Jesus has already done one. And then last week he did the second one. He cast out demon from a mute and immediately the Pharisees who are the overseers of the multitudes of Jews they're the ones that kind of tell you what's what they interpret the laws they they handle the prophecies they they do the miracles they pretty much run the country and at this point they had observed Jesus this man that was born in a manger in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. He's the son of a carpenter. There's no way he can be the Messiah. Well, he's already done one miracle. So it caused them to follow him and and observe him. Now he's done a second one. And immediately they said that you're doing this under the power of Beelzebul, the evil one. These miracles that you're doing is just an evil spirit in you. And Jesus looked at them and said, okay, now you've blasphemed the Spirit. Blasphemy being that of unbelief. You don't believe that I'm the Messiah. Jesus actually died on the cross later and he covered every sin except for one, and that's the sin of unbelief. And so now they have blasphemed the Spirit, and Jesus literally at this point, he comes he comes to them, and this is where we are in the story, and this totally changes everything. When they say, Jesus, you're not the Messiah, you're doing these under the spirit of Beelzebub, in Matthew chapter 12, 30, verse 38, we pick up the story. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, they... Jesus was a rabbi, they acknowledged him as a teacher, as a rabbi, and they literally say that right here, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to, this is immediately the same day, this is like in the scriptures, they call this one of the the longest days, I think there's a couple of long days. The day that, you know, Jesus loses his friend John the Baptist and feeding of 5,000 and that's a long day, but th- this is one of the biggest days right here. They've already called him evil. It says, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. <laughs> I mean, you've got the multitudes of Jews, the Jewish nation that are out there and they're listening to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say he's not the Messiah that You're now doing these things under the evil one. And he turns and says and looks to them. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. This is the fun stuff right here. This is the stuff that's going to mess up your childhood memories. He says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now let's, let's pause and look at this story real quick. Most of you know the story of Jonah and the whale. It never says whale, so it just says big fish. So we don't know if it was a whale or not. But that's the story and the songs that are told about Jonah that Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, God says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is now Assyria, which is now foreign to the Jews. They were enemies of the Jews then, still enemies of the Jews now. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them about my grace and mercy. And Jonah's like, Haha, I ain't going there. I am not going there. And so he gets on the boat, and he heads out into the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And all of a sudden, a storm comes along, and the people that are on the ship realize that Jonah is the reason for this whole storm, and they're about to, like, Get killed and everything else on this storm on this ship, and they decide to throw Jonah overboard. That's the story. You know the story. As then a big well comes along, swallows Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> you see pictures of Jonah building a campfire in the belly of the well, probably having s'mores or something like that. I don't know, roasting fish that the wells eat, and I, I, I don't know. But you see those stories, and you think he's just camping out there for three days, and then all of a sudden the well spits him out on the shore, and he goes to Nineveh. Well, let me rock your boat for a second here. If Jesus says, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, that's a big statement right there. Because a couple things are about to happen. What I'm telling you here is that Jesus says, you're going to see the sign of resurrection. It's the only sign that you're going to see. And we know of like three times in the scripture after he says this, that they experience resurrection. The first one being a friend of Jesus, whose name is what? Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus dies for three days, begins to start smelling. And Jesus raises him from the dead, and they saw that. It was a public healing. Everybody saw that. Then, obviously, Jesus himself goes to the cross, is put in the tomb... Three days later, he rises. Then we can look in Revelation chapter 11, and there's going to be in the end times, there's going to be these two witnesses in Jerusalem that will actually die in the middle of the street. Hasn't yet happened. And they will be resurrected. So, we're sitting there and Jesus says, the only sign that you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. Doesn't say resurrection. He doesn't say that. So, what I believe about the story of Jonah is this What if Jonah actually died? Like the ship's rocking, they throw him overboard, he drowns and dies. And then a fish comes along, swallows him up. The Lord resurrects him, and the fish spits him out. Which miracle's bigger? Right? The fish just swallowing him and then camping out there three days in his belly, or the Lord actually resurrecting Jonah? Watch. Jesus has already implied that we're talking about resurrection. But Jonah chapter 2 says this. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress. Now watch, this is this prayer inside the fish and he's explaining in his prayer what happened. I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. Wait, 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 wait. For the last two weeks, we've explained what Sheol is. Sheol is the Hebrew word because Jonah's in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament. It's Hebrew. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the underworld where people go when they die, the Greek word being Hades, the underworld having two sides, Abraham's bosom, paradise. If you, if you missed all this, go back and listen to the last couple of weeks. There's a ravine in the middle. Jesus comes down and he speaks to those on the other side, which we know as hell. It's the holding place for those that are non-believers. Wait, you guys don't go there, all right? Cross has already happened. Cross has already happened. You're absent from the body. You're present with the Lord. So, so this isn't about you. This is pertaining about something totally different, Old Testament. All right? So it, Jonah says, I went to Sheol. I went to the underworld. Like, if the only way you go to the underworld is what? You die. I think Jonah died. He said, I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. Like he's saying, God, you're the one that threw me overboard. He did it through those men that were scared. And the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I look once more toward your holy temple. The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. This sounds like a drowning man, right? Sounds like he's literally drowning. I sink to the foundations of the mountains. You know how the mountains are at the top, but they come all the way down to the bottom. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. He's in Sheol. But you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. He died. Sorry to mess up your childhood stories. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless, idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. He's begging and pleading for his life. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jesus says, you're going to see one more sign, one more miracle, and it's going to be the miracle of Jonah, where he was resurrected. But more importantly, Jesus says, the only thing you're going to see, you multitudes, you Pharisees, you scribes, you Sadducees, you that don't believe in me as the Messiah, that's the only thing that you're going to see. You've been cut off. There's now a curse on you and your generation. If you're going to blaspheme the Spirit to its face, you're now cut off. You're not going to see what I'm telling anymore. It's not because I'm doing that to you. You chose that in your callous ways. Your callous hearts chose that. And now you're cut off. And so now, watch this. Jesus changes his whole public ministry, and he does two things. He begins talking in parables. He begins telling stories that people have a hard time understanding. Even to this very day, we have a hard time understanding the parables. I don't know how many times you've heard parables, and you've heard them 50 million different ways. But if you translate them in the context of what's going on here in this whole culture and everything, it's pretty easy to make sense of what he's saying right here. We're getting ready to like fly through a bunch of parables, but Jesus is speaking in parables because he doesn't want the multitudes to understand what he's talking about. But he does want his disciples to understand that, so he comes along quietly and privately behind closed doors and he explains the parables to them because he's training those 12. He wants to He wants them to understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and so he tells them. The other thing that Jesus does, watch right here, is all those miracles that he's been doing publicly that, you know, are written down here and aren't even written, he starts doing in private. And he even says, don't go tell them. I'm doing this, but I'm going to do it in private. And again, the reason he does it in private is he's training those 12 disciples. He wants them to know how to do miracles and to heal people in the power of God. But he closes out here with that curse, explaining it. He says in verse 41, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Nineveh, that's the place that Jonah was supposed to go. The Gentiles, the ones that were against the Jews, that were attacking the Jews, that came in and actually conquered the northern kingdom. Alright? He said, Nineveh is going to stand in judgment over you, the multitudes of the Pharisees. What? What? The Gentiles are going to stand in judgment over the Jews? Yeah. It says, because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. Those in Nineveh repented when Jonah came. Jonah was like totally shocked. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. Whatever Jonah did there, look right here. Something's greater here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon And look, something greater than Solomon is here. He's saying the Gentiles are getting this thing and the Jews are not. Verse 43 says, When an unclean spirit comes out of a man, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. He's, He's literally calling these Pharisees evil. And they're just roaming to figure out how they can get their claws into different people. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from, and returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Now he's talking about, he's in reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in, he's like, got this house all in order, swept it, prepared the way for Jesus to come and to do his public ministry, so everybody could see that this is going to be the Messiah. He says, then it goes off and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. Like, you guys were evil to start with. We came in and said, hey, look, the Messiah is coming. We cleared the way. And you haven't believed And now. It's like seven times worse. This is bad. It says, and they enter and settle down. As a result, that man's last condition is worse than the first. That's how it will also be with this evil generation. The multitude of Jews under the leadership of the Pharisees will be judged by the Gentiles at the great white throne judgment. That's a judgment that's talked about in Revelation. It's not a judgment that you and I will face. It's crazy. It says, as a result, that man's last condition is worse than the first. Look, look, look what happens here. Look, Jesus is like saying, you guys are in worse condition. And we know it. Because here's what happened. About forty years later, a gen- within the generation, within this generation of Pharisees, the Romans came in, conquered the Jews, destroyed the temple. King Herod's it's still destroyed. People, there's a, there's the southern steps and there's the mountain and everything. Go you go over there with me. You see this thing, and it's destroyed. There's a western wall now that they go and pray at. That's it. The Jews go to the bottom of this western wall called the Wailing Wall and they pray there at that wall. That's it. But in 70 AD, this building, this temple was there and it got destroyed by the Romans and 1.1 million Jews died. He said, look, we cleaned this house, we made a way for you and now it's like worse than it's ever going to be. Not only that, the Romans exiled the Jews and scattered them all over the earth. And to this very day, the Jews are scattered all over the earth. So even today, the Jews are paying for the sins of that generation of non-believers. And then we get to Matthew chapter 13, and he starts telling the parables. It says, on that day, Jesus went out of the house, and he was sitting by the sea. Now he's at the Sea of Galilee, northern end part of the Sea of Galilee. Please, think about it, pray about it, come with me, because you just sit there on the Sea of Galilee, you can picture this story right here. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the shore, Jesus is casted off a little bit from the shore, and all the people are standing around, didn't have a microphone, but the capabilities of the landscape and everything else, they were able to hear what Jesus was telling them. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. How many sermons have you heard on the sower and the seed? Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky ground where there wasn't much soil, and they sprang up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. Still others fell on the ground, and the ground produced a crop. Some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. Anyone who has ears should listen. (laughs) But the Pharisees at this point can't hear. Because they've been cut off. The Gentiles are hearing this. Some Jews may have heard this. And then, watch this. Then the disciples came up and asked him, Why do you speak to them in parables? A parable... Means, is it a mean of, means of communication where spiritual principles are taught by using analogies based on everyday occurrences? Let me say that again. A parable is a means of communication where spiritual principles are taught by using analogies based on everyday occurrences. The disciples, Jesus' own disciples, come up to him, okay, why are you teaching them parables? This is a little weird. And he answered them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. Like, I want you guys to understand this. I want you to know it. You will know it. And let me explain this. I know Bob goes into the whole detail of this real quick. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven won, we're reading out of Matthew, and Matthew wrote to who? Matthew was a Jew, so he wrote to the Jews. If you look at Mark and Luke, they always refer to it as the kingdom of God. But the Jews were always, they, they, they thought God's name, Yahweh, was so holy, so holy that they never would say God's name. So when Matthew's writing to the Jews, he says to the kingdom of heaven. He won't say God. He may do it once or twice. But most of the time he refers to it as heaven. You ever say that? Yahweh. They whisper his name. Because it's so holy. Yahweh. It actually means breath. So Mark says the kingdom of heaven. But when we look at the kingdom of heaven. the kingdom of God throughout the scripture. And there's plenty of scripture, if you're you're absolutely a a student of the Bible and you want to know these things, come with me and I'll point them out to you. But we talk about five different kingdoms throughout the scripture. The first one being the eternal kingdom. That's just like from eternity past to eternity future. Anything that is of God, is God, is that eternal kingdom. That's one kingdom. The second kingdom would be the spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom has to do with all believers all time. Anybody that believes in God through the Messiah is part of that spiritual kingdom. Then the third kingdom would be that of the mediators and the monarchs. When they refer to the kingdom of God, there's that time in the Old Testament when God gave them judges. You remember Joshua and Samuel, and then it moved into the kings, and you had David and. You had Solomon, remember that? Saul, all those kings, Though that was the kingdom of God at that point. So you had three different kingdoms. The fourth kingdom is the millennial kingdom. That's when Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Some believe that that is the stage that we're in right now. Some believe that's a stage that's to come. And then there's a fifth kingdom. And this is the kingdom that Jesus is referring to. We've labeled this kingdom as the mystery kingdom. Because it's become a mystery to the Jews. But this is, any time that it talks about the mystery kingdom, it's talking about the church which actually started in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And goes all the way until Jesus returns again. And here's the reason it's a mystery is because what happens is you have two, two groups of people. You have the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews thought that they were better than the Gentiles. And remember the temple, God came to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And even in the temple, you had the Holy of Holies where the, the high priest went, but you also had the inner court, and that's where the Jews went. But then you had the Gentile court, which was outside. That's never to say that the Gentiles couldn't know God. The majority of the Gentiles knew many other gods and were considered an evil group, but the Gentiles could know God. There was a court for them there at the temple. But now the mystery is, is Jesus has come along and he said, you Jews are cut off. Now it's the Gentiles' turn. That the Gentile and the Jew are one in Christ. That's the mystery. That's the kingdom that we live in right now, the church. Both Gentiles and Jews can know Jesus as the Messiah. So when he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he's referring to this mystery. And In verse 12 it says, For whoever has more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. He's again referring to the Gentiles and the Jews. You don't want this, it's going to be taken from you. He says, For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. And he says to the he guys, he goes, Guys, listen, you know this. You know this, disciples, you know this because Isaiah speaks about it in his own prophecy. What has occurred here today, Isaiah spoke back 500, 600 years ago. Look, and he even quotes Isaiah's prophecy. It says, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in him, which says, you will listen and listen, yet never understand. Isaiah's prophesying about the Pharisees when the Messiah comes. The multitudes that are listening to the Pharisees. And you will look and look, yet never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Whose choice was it? Theirs. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would cure them. All they have to do is believe that I'm the Messiah. He goes, You guys... I'm teaching in parables because this is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. There's nothing new here. It's already been announced. He says in verse 16, he says, But your eyes are blessed because they do see. Young men. Young men that are hanging out with me, you get to see this, and I'm going to teach this to you. And your ears, because they do hear. For I assure you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, and yet didn't see them. And this is so awesome, because you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the Old Testament and all the prophets, Isaiah and Daniel and uh, Ezekiel and, and Joel and Amos and Micah and Obadiah, you go back to all those prophets, and watch this, they can prophesy things that are happening During Jesus' time, they can even, Daniel even talks about and prophesies things that are going to happen in the end times, but you look at the actual prophets in the Old Testament, and hardly any of them know what happens during the mystery kingdom, during the church time. Like after Jesus goes to the cross, till Jesus returns again, there's not much prophecy going on right here today. So to even them, this mystery was happening. And Jesus says, they wish they knew what happened during this time, but they don't. They knew about previous, and they know what's going to happen afterwards, but I'm telling you guys, you 12, what's going to happen during the mystery time. This is stuff that everybody's wanted to know, and now you guys get to know it. It says, verse 18, you then, Listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. Right? We know there's a battle going on in us. Right? It's not. I don't have two natures. I have a spirit and a flesh. And the evil one's always attacking me through my flesh. It says, And the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one, one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful remember who was always worried about wealth, it's the Pharisees. But the one sown on the good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does bear fruit and yields some 100, some 60, some 30 times what has sown. Jesus says this probably around 30 A.D., is he not talking about the church today? Does it, you guys see this, right? This is what happens today. We're not necessarily talking about salvation here. We're talking about those that are struggling. It happens in the church all the time. Look, I know I'm in a, I'm in a struggle. The struggle bus. There's an evil one that wants to steal the joy and the abundant life that God intended for me to have. He wants to, not only does he want to steal it, he wants to kill me. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There's a battle going on. I get it. And then, uh, I jump to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. I may have to stop. Uh, it says, the kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. Then the head, then the ripe grain on the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Look, ha." <laughs> I I love this uh I think it was yesterday or the day before but Bart posted th- this picture he said uh when it's been a few days since you've checked your garden this fa- like they have they've been gone for a week or something like that and they came home and checked their garden and uh that's Sophie's deal Sophie Miller that's his middle middle child but she went out and uh checked her garden, and this face says it all. I thought, how appropriate is that picture right there for what this scripture and this parable that Jesus just read? And I, you can take that off. Uh, I truly believe what Jesus is saying here, and I'm going to stop on this parable. I truly believe is the gospel is going to produce goodness by itself. There may be a season where uh, I may even like check out, but the gospel will continue. I don't think that Jesus needs me. I really don't i'm I'm thankful for the opportunity to get up here and uh, teach his word, but uh listen to this, it doesn't have anything to do with me what it has to do with the spirit working inside of you like seriously, it doesn't matter if my message sucks up here. What matters is that the spirit's working inside of you. And the Spirit's causing fruit to grow from you. And you may be totally amazed and shocked at what it does. I am. ha! <laughs> I'm amazed all the time. I hear stories. Brandon's always saying, I got a story to tell you. I got a story to tell you. I get stories from all of you all the time. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. And I watch this fruit produce on its own. I look like Sophie. Because it really is an adventure. And it really is amazing. And I get to experience that word that most Christians don't understand. The awe of God. You ever get wrapped up in the awe of God It'll send chills down your back. And you know it's Him and not me or you doing it. The awe of God gives you that look. Father, I pray that your your work is done in your word today. And that it just produces amazing, amazing fruit, not just in me, but the lives of these people here and those that are listening. You are amazing. And I I just, I'm so thankful for Jesus. I can't, I can't uh, honestly worship you enough to know that uh, you loved us so much that you came here face-to-face with us, go through the pain and the agony of of even putting on human flesh and walking here on earth and dealing with the evil one face-to-face. And not only dealing with him, but overcoming him. So that today the spirit can be within us and that we can overcome the evil one ourselves because of that spirit in us. So, Lord, I pray that as the fruit produces in each and every one in this room, that it's you doing it, not in our own strength, but in your strength. I pray that you continue to do that, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.